Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Hey, Solar Warrior. Merry, Merry Christmas to you. If you're tuning in today, it is Christmas Eve. Yes, we are still publishing because it's Thursday. We publish because it's Thursday, not because it's Christmas Eve. It's true, Suncast Solar Warriors are always so dedicated to staying sharp and ahead of the pack. And I hope that you're enjoying your Christmas break wherever you are. I'm honored that you've decided to spend some time with us today. And I hope that you're chilling by a fire, drinking some eggnog with your lovely family. If you're new here, thanks for giving us a chance and letting us earn your attention. I hope that you'll get a ton of value from today's story. We can keep this short and sweet because Benigno Villarreal and his story speak for themselves. Many of you have likely never heard of Vive Energia, unless you're doing business, of course, in Mexico. There, Benny and his partners have developed a massive portfolio and track record reputation across wind and solar and I've long wanted to know how it all came together. Today, you get to listen in on that very discussion. I wanna say thank you again for being part of our tribe here on Suncast. You know, it's been a wonderful year and a really marvelous journey. Despite all the setbacks 2020 has brought, we've laughed and cried together, and I have just been incredibly overwhelmed and grateful for the friendship, the momentum that we've achieved together, and you truly are the reason that I show up each and every week. You're the reason this show has more than 330 interviews, over 300,000 downloads, and still growing. And guess what? 2021 is going to be an amazing year as well. I look forward to sharing more fun stories with you. But for now, let's tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Here we go, Solar Warriors. For This is a special episode, especially for those of you that I'm well aware are part of our tribe, either in Latin America or focused on Latin America. And for all of you who have a curious bone about how solar is working outside of the United States, what corollaries, uh, what contradictions are there and what might the market that's gathering speed down in Latin America mean for uh, the prospects in North America and the Americas generally uh, compared with the rest of the world. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of inviting Mr. Benny Villarreal, to the show. Benny heads Vive Energia. He's one of the co-founders and the CEO. Vive is a really interesting company down in Mexico. It's a renewable energy company focused on both wind and solar. And we'll get into some of that with Benny in a minute, but Benny's credited with leading teams that have helped develop, finance, and build more than a gigawatt of Mexico's current installed renewable energy generation capacity. Without further ado, I want to welcome Benny to the show. Thank you very much, Nico. Really happy to be here and uh, uh, for this opportunity to uh, speak to your audience. It's a long time coming. I've been looking forward to this conversation with you and 
it's been fun watching how Vibe Energia has not only grown as a renewable energy company, but made the transition that many of your peers have made in Venergy and others into investing in other renewable assets outside of the wind class, which is where you started. For those who are completely unfamiliar with Vive Energia or Bene Villarreal, tell me a bit about your first exposure to the idea of renewable energy and how you decided this is where you wanted to turn and focus the rest of your career. Yeah, well, some of the best things in life sometimes happen in a very fortuitous uh, manner. And I guess to a certain extent, uh, that's what happened to to me. I started off in the uh, public sector, in the academic sector, basically teaching, which is still a, a passion of mine. I was invited to work in the public sectors at this time, still teaching at the university basically in uh, transportation, right? Switching from uh, fossil fuels or basically from diesel to natural gas on public transportation in Mexico City. And Mexico City's uh, public transportation schemes are uh, very pulverized. And it's a, most of the times it's like a one-man operation and family-owned per vehicle. So these are very belligerent organizations and uh, who do not change, uh, you know, who do not change often and, and are very to change. So anyway, I was brought on board to do that and, and became the chief business development officer of a, of a company owned by um, the IFC in, in Mexico. We changed things around. We did a very good job and incremented sales by 80 some percent in the first year. And uh, anyway, so that's where I met Jose Antonio Aguilar, who is uh, my current partner and co-founder in Viva Energia. Soon after, he was uh, uh, invited to be the CEO of Acciona, uh, for Mexico and Mesoamerica, Central America and Mexico. And he was having a hard time getting the projects up and running and getting the initial land negotiations and land right negotiations with the Mexican farmers who basically owned the land and under the ejido, um legal form of Mexico, which I have no idea how to translate that into English. Yeah, it's like a common, it's, a, it's like a common law ownership of property among a community. It's a very hard thing to break up, and it's something that's exist that doesn't exist in the United States, uh, except perhaps on tribal land. Exactly, exactly. Well, that's, that's a very good way to put it. So anyway, these guys, what they have in common with the transportation organizations I was talking to before, or, or talking about before, is that they are also very belligerent in the way they carry themselves and the way they carry out their businesses. And and there's a reason for this historically, and you know how how historically they have been abused by, uh, you know. Uh, companies and so on. So he came back to me one day and said, hey, do you want to come to uh, Acciona and head the business development effort for us? And, uh, you know, you're good at dealing with belligerent groups. And, and I said, yeah. And uh, I found my calling, man. I, that's, that's pretty much what happened back in 2007, I think it was. And uh, we went to the Isthmus region in Oaxaca. Beautiful area of Mexico. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's it's the Texas corridor of Mexico, right? It's the it's the same sort of scale and scope of wind as a, as a country stands, uh, and iron and, and and not perhaps not ironically, it's essentially occupies roughly the same sort of physical location in the country of Mexico. It's it's great correlation. For those who are unaware, Benny is one of the more well traveled people I know. Got his not only his JD MBA but also a doctorate through his travels both in Mexico and in Europe. So I want to make sure that, that you understand Benny's background is essentially around law and the application of law to business. So it's important to understand that because as a developer and as a business developer, 
a firm foundation in the law goes a long way. <laughs> definitely, definitely. It's, um, it's helped me a lot. It really has because there is a legal sophistication to getting these projects up and running, right? Basically, the isthmus region is, for those of you who, who, who can't pinpoint it, is the thinnest part of Mexico between the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans, right? So, you get a, an amazing wind corridor in, 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 that, in that particular area. To the extent, Nico, that half of the time that the wind turbines are not running, it's due in the same proportion to excess wind as no wind. Wow. <laughs> yeah, Amazing. I know it's, 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 it's really crazy. But anyway, we went down to that area back in, in, in the days that I headed the development efforts for Acciona, and we put together uh, four projects and uh, almost 800 megawatts uh, back then. And we did that from maybe 2007, I think, to mid 2011, I think it was. Yeah. What a great five-year run. And this is what I think folks perhaps who haven't spent time looking outside of the U.S. market, they don't recognize that development in particular of wind assets went in almost lockstep in correlation with the United States and in some cases in advance of the United States. You guys were following more closely to the European wind boom uh, than any other market, I would presume. And it makes sense because a lot of Mexican engineers and lawyers and, and MBAs get I'd say as e equally as many go to, to France, Spain, Germany, and get their higher education degrees, London, uh, as they do to the United States. I have a quick question before we dig further into your foray into renewables. What career path did you not go down, but always thought that you would? Oh, wow. Maybe uh, public service, basically politics. My dad was a public servant for all his life, and, and I kind of thought I was going to end up there. And then as I grew up and matured and really saw where that could take me, um, yeah, I, I opted for, for a different – I mean, not, not that anything's wrong with that, but I opted for a different uh, road. Yeah, a yeah. different way of, of impacting the, the future direction of a company or a country and its uh, policies. But, you know, with that in mind, it does help give some context as well. Given the work that you've done over the years, helping give leadership and direction and guidance to the renewable policy in the country of Mexico, it's important to understand not only do you have legal background, but you have a public service background of understanding how that world works and how to navigate it. It's as complex as any other <laughs> sort of society. Definitely. When, when you're trying to develop projects in Latin America and particularly in Mexico, you will find that the financial and uh, technical challenge of doing this is pretty much the same that you will find in you know, Europe, Asia, or the United States. But the social challenge of putting a project like this together, the sustainability aspect of it, and by sustainability, I mean environmental and social sustainability, uh, and obtaining what I like to call the social license ends up being one of the the most challenging uh, things to get done. And, and there's a handful of uh, examples that we could put forth of, you know, projects that had everything, uh, financing uh, in place, the permitting, the interconnection, the site, everything to get it done, uh, the PPAs, et cetera. And at the end of the day, could not, you know, put a single brick down um, because they could not get the social license and they had a social problem end up being a legal problem and end up being, you know, something very bad. And this is something that we've encountered. I mean, we as a developer, I've been, I've worked with Trina and Connergy and other companies throughout Latin America. We encountered it in, in large part in places like Mexico with the Hidos, uh, but also Honduras, 
parts of Chile, but not so much. It's a, it's a big uh, deal in other Latin American countries, in particular Central America and Mexico, uh, this social impact element. And it's one of the areas that you as a leader for Vive Energia have taken on as a mantle of, of pride and a mantle of, uh, of sort of truth and justice of the way that you developed your company. And I want to get to that. But first, I really love the way that you cultivated a spirit of partnership as a launching off point. So there's a period between Acciona and Viva Energia where you got to firsthand experience some of the conflict and uh, and struggle of companies that don't have their social practices aligned with their business practices. And it created an opportunity for you to form Viva Energia. And you did so around this partnership model. Can you explain to me how that came about and where, where your thinking is on the way that you began forming what would become Viva Energia? Yeah, sure, definitely. You know, being an, an entrepreneur is never is never easy, especially when you have a nice and comfy corporate job, right? And you're basically living the life of, a, of, of big corporations, which is really cool to a certain extent. But it's kind of like uh, standing in the shower, you know, getting some hot water, and knowing for a fact that there will become a time and point where you're going to run out of hot water, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's going <laughs> to suddenly be really, really cold, right? Cold yeah. Sex. So the opportunity came came forward. When, when I left Acciona, I did so to go to Grupo Dragon. I got to Grupo Dragon, and it's a, it's a great company as well as, as, as Acciona. It wasn't until I actually got to Grupo Dragon that I realized I wanted to try and go out there and 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 and, and do this uh, my way, right, or, or or a way that I thought could be a lot better and that could make us really competitive. Um, so at that point. I uh, basically looked up my partners, which I believe then and, and believe to this day that choosing the correct partners is as important uh, in life as choosing uh, the correct uh, partner for your life, right? Or life partner, if you will. That person can either make you a better person or, or a worse person or a better entrepreneur and better businessman or a worse entrepreneur and businessman. So uh, after realizing the characteristics that I brought to the table and what, what, I, what I could do. At the same time, I thought, well, what does this business need? What, what would Viva Energia need to make this thing a reality? And I immediately thought of Jose Antonio Aguilar and Gerardo Pandal, which are uh, my co-founder partners and very good friends to, to this day. And, and all three of us work in, in Viva Energia. And uh, just, you know, Gerardo brought to the table uh, a commercial understanding of the Mexican market, uh, a series of, of, of relationships relationships in, uh, uh, in Mexico, a, a high level of sensibility towards what was happening in the uh, non-governmental organizations and, and the uh, environmental conscious of, of Mexican society. He was uh, working uh, for a long period of time before that for the Climate Reality Project. And then for uh, Guascor, he was the CEO of Guascor, which was a, um, a company uh, generating clean energy as well. And I thought of Jose Antonio Aguilar, Jose Antonio Aguilar, who had left Acciona a few years back uh, uh, before I did and went on to uh, head Mexico's largest uh, national development bank and then went to, the, to, to head, I think it was the IFC as well. So he brought all of the uh, structure, financing, administration, knowledge of getting these projects up and running and, and getting the project 
finance done, which is, as you know, is, is very complicated doing a project finance, I think is a, the most complicated schemes of financing that's out there because the only uh, guarantee for the lender itself is, is the project itself, right? So your project has to be solid. And I mean, you know, all around. So um, that said, we, we sort of met and put this in black and white on a napkin in a restaurant and started working on a uh, presentation and we pitched it to a, a few capital partners that are potential capital partners. The second group that we pitched it to immediately said yes and they turned out to be amazing partners and, and to this day they're very good friends and they partnered in, in, in Taviv and Akia from 2012 to about late 2015 at which point the co-founders Jose Antonio Gerardo and myself bought them out together with a parallel signing of a, a joint venture in a strategic partnership with Envision Energy, this Chinese uh, turbine company. So, yeah. It's really interesting. I love the vision that you had for how to complement your skill set. It's really informative to hear the thinking for how you brought that to bear. The next phase, which you just alluded to, of course, is, okay, we've got this team, we've got financing, we've built a pipeline. Now we need to bring on strategic partners who can help carry that vision to reality, get the projects built. How did that phase of Viva Energia incorporate the working with and working out of a relationship with Envision Energy? What we did is we basically put together the team first and we brought a team from uh, our previous lives in both Acciona, Dragon, uh, 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 Jose Antonio from his previous experiences and, and Gerardo uh, as well. And we formed an amazing team. We really, really did. I mean, uh, just the, the, the talent that we've been able to put together and, and the trust that these um, young men and women have put in, in Jose Antonio, Gerardo and myself as, as the leadership for Viva Energia is something that we're, we'll always be very grateful for. So once we put the team together, then we started building the pipeline. And once we had a significantly attractive pipeline, then we went out there and said, okay, so for phase two, which is the actual construction and financing of this thing, how are we going to uh, uh, make it a reality, right? And that's when we met the team of the Envision Energy and their interest to go international. At this point, Envision Energy was already, um, I don't know if they were number four or number five in the world in turbine manufacturing, smart turbines. Uh, they had a very important um, percentile of the Chinese market, which as you know, China is an international leader in, in, in renewable energy, specifically in, in wind as well. At that moment in time, uh, they were looking to expand their platform and trying to go to Mexico and go into the international international market and maybe even find a country that would be a stepping stone for the Americas, right? And that's when they started to look uh, at Mexico. They looked at our pipeline and what we had constructed to, to that moment in time. And they had a great product, but they weren't known in the market, right? So what they ended up realizing was that in order to get a their product positioned into the market, what they had to do was actually buy their way into the market. So that's how they became co-developers with us and partners in, in developing in Mexico in such a way that their product would create an, an out, a pipeline, right, if you will. And you already had a reputation and a pipeline and, a, you know, you had a credible entity. I loved the way you sort of put this into layman's terms. I don't know if you recall the story you told me, sort of like the equivalent of a Chinese tire company. Do you want to share that uh, analogy? 
Yeah, well, that's that's how I try. I always explain it to my friends because there's not very many Chinese companies operating in Mexico. So it is kind of a thing, right? How how did you guys end up partnering up with the Chinese company, and why were they interested in in, in Mexico? Even though the experience has been has been great with them uh, uh, thus far, and what I would say is, well, imagine if you would have uh, a Chinese company that's making amazing tires, right, and really high quality tires, and they have a, an important part of the Chinese market, but they want to go into the international market. So what they end up doing is maybe they, they're so big that they buy Ford, right? They buy Ford. And as of that moment, Ford signs a contract with them and all of new Ford vehicles come you know, from factory uh, with these new Chinese uh, tires. And after they've done that and after they've signed that contract, then maybe in a few years later, they sell Ford because that's not their core business. That's not what they want. They're, they're not in it to make cars. But when they sell Ford, right, they sell it with a contract already in the tummy, right, that, you know, it's already pregnant with this contract for 30 years of tires from their own company. And market validation. And market validation. Yeah, that's the most important thing, actually. So that's pretty much what, what they've done. And these guys are these guys are smart and they have a, a great product. And and of course, they're they're finding their way through um, through the market. You know, progress and change are not achieved by standing still. We must challenge the status quo and do things differently. There are moments in time that change the course of our history. And for us, that time has come, a moment to act now for a brighter solar future. In a global scenario where the demand for renewable energy is constantly growing, solar has the power to shape new and powerful energy models to drive progress and prosperity for a sustainable world. At Suncast, we stand with FEMER, and together we can shape the future of solar. Learn more about how FEMER is changing the future of solar at solar.femer.com that's solar.femer.com I've been wondering what's your least favorite solar asset management activity you know those daily weekly sometimes monthly deliverables that you just have to check off the list but can be such a drag well let me tell you how to press the easy button and get going on the work that really matters by automating your invoicing and ticketing and reporting with PowerHub Focus on the work that you want to do. Take the boring stuff off your plate with PowerHub. You can go to powerhub.com forward slash suncast to learn more. So I think one of the interesting aspects of the way that you have built the company is that you started with wind and now, like many, you are incorporating solar and even energy storage. What aspects of the development cycle or the business case uh, do you feel are like, where do you see similarities and differences? Um, but also, I'm always curious, what could the solar and storage industry learn from the wind industry? I.e., what are you applying that is helping you scale that you that came from the wind side that solar still hasn't really adapted or, or caught on to? That's a tough question, and I would probably ha have a hard time trying to find an answer for that because I would really have to dig it up 
Um, maybe in the beginning, when when we started back in in, in Mexico in the mid two thousands, developing wind primarily. At that time, we kind of looked at solar and kind of snubbed at it. And then you know, solar kind of creeped uh, from from the left. If it was a horse race, and you know, they they sort of stuck out their nose and hit the wire first, because um, that's what happened to us in the in the if in, by us, I would I would say the wind sector in the first long term auction and and second long term auction and uh, what you find now is that both technologies are highly highly competitive regarding the development of these kind of projects they're very similar at the end of the day it's just a technological difference maybe the environmental impact could be different for different zones or different areas uh, areas where you have like high migration of birds or so on you would probably want to put solar plants and and lower the uh, uh, environmental impact of wind and then maybe maybe areas where you want to continue to have the usage of the land the way it was before the renewable energy project, then you would probably want to put wind and uh, generate lesser um, impact on on, on the percentile of land actually used and committed to, to the project, right? I really don't see major differences in, in the development of, of these projects now. Is there a difference in the in the scale or scope, rather, in terms of timeline? Like solar utility scale can be two to three years. Is wind pretty similar? I think the developing part is pretty much the same because getting the permits and actually getting to a ready-to-build stage will take you pretty much the same. Financing will take you pretty much the same. Construction, you might be able to do wind a little bit, I mean, uh, solar a little bit faster than wind. If you want to talk specifically about the construction time, right, and the construction effort and, and, and so on. But I would probably say that, you know, as you know, we put together uh, back in uh, 2013, 2013, I think it was, no, 2014, the um, Peninsular Renewable Energy Association, the APER. The APER has its, its own uh, webpage and it's on Facebook and so on. And, and we, we have, you know, basically a couple of dozen international and national companies affiliated to the Peninsular Renewable Energy Organization, and which I, which I, uh, I preside over, by the way, and uh, founded and preside over uh, to, still to, the, to this year. Next year, I think we're going to have elections and have a change in the admin of the organization itself. And we basically have all of the both solar and wind developers in, in the peninsula right now in, in, in that association. What we're trying to do, and maybe if I say all, there might be somebody out there that's not a part of the association, but let's say most, right? Most of us are in the APIR. And what we've tried to do is that we have tried to bring the best uh, international practices for development into this organization. So we are not a an organization trying to incide into uh, uh, public policy on a federal level. We leave that to federal organizations uh, such as the, the AMDE or the ASOLMEX or the solar and wind national organizations. What we try and do is actually better develop these projects and be uh, more sustainable locally to the communities and share you know, experiences, what has been done good, what has been done, what could be done better uh, moving forward and in such a way that the development of these projects uh, generate uh, less social and environmental impact in the communities and have greater acceptance uh, through time. And I think we've achieved that. Since we're on public policy and APER not explicitly trying to influence public policy, those who've been watching from afar and certainly painfully from up close like you are, would recognize that Mexico has gone through a national energy reform. Uh, there have been a lot of 
positive changes that for many of us spelled a fruitful uh, you know, decade plus to come, which was going to benefit, obviously, a lot of fossil fuels because there's ingrained interest there, but renewables are set up and winning all of the auctions. And, and there's a great path forward. Can you explain a bit about the changes in public policy under the current administration for those who maybe aren't so familiar with what's happening in Mexico? Maybe they've read some headlines, but they're just unsure. How is it affecting the market right now? What, what's happening and, and how has it, what's the impact on renewables? Maybe to better understand and make it clear for, for your audience, to a certain extent, I guess you could say we've been trumped. The same thing you guys went through at the beginning of the Trump administration, whereas there were a series of attacks on renewable energies, on wind and solar, and trying to disqualify the viability of these technologies moving forward as an actual source or major source of energy, right? And starting to look back at fossil fuels as the way to go, the solution, and all this clean coal crap that was going on at the beginning of, you know, uh, a few years back. Well, we in Mexico were, were, were sort of laughing at that, at the, you know, when, when that was happening. And then surprise, surprise, we got a little bit, <laughs> we got a little bit of that, of, of that here as well. So that's pretty much what's happening to us now that we have a federal administration who is looking to, towards fossil fuels, for the solution of Mexico's energy problems, uh, looking for coal and heavy oil and uh, diesel generation as a solution. Just two days ago, in the Ministry of Energy's presentation to Congress, they said that they were evaluating the possibility of putting a nuclear power plant in uh, Baja California, right? Which, you know, is an area known for the San Andres fault. And uh, it's not the best place to put a nuclear power plant. Also notably, the first large-scale solar and storage plant in the country was destroyed by... A hurricane, yeah. In Baja. So, okay. So, yeah, that's basically what's happening. And what, part of the argument is that Mexico has a lot of uh, fossil fuels still to be readily at hand, let's say. Uh, hence, that should be Mexico's energy solution. But, you know, we didn't move out of the uh, uh, Stone Age because there was a lack of stones, but because uh, we had better tech, right? I'm still optimistic, though, that uh, better criteria will prevail within this administration. And uh, moving forward, we will again, come to impulsing renewable energies in Mexico. And it seems like the present administration, which still has, uh, I think, three or four years left uh, in, their, in their run, is particularly nationalistic and looking at the hegemony that is Pemex and CFE in terms of the control of natural gas and, and uh, fossil fuel resources in very principle are against renewables. But a lot of folks ask me, is this a durable resistance? You know, is this a blip in the radar? Is it a one to two year slowdown? What's your take on it? This is going to pass by. This is just like a summer, you know. I mean, it's a summer love because it's unsustainable. It's unsustainable from an environmental point of view. It's unsustainable from an economic point of view. And from a legal point of view, nobody's been able to refute it, right? Again, yes, it's been unsustainable from a legal point of view. But at the end of the day, the world is moving in the direction of renewable energies. I think Mexico will end up walking uh, that road sooner or later. And I think uh, hopefully that will be sooner than later. So one of the things that uh, you and I discussed in our first conversation about how, how Vive came around, and I was just really curious about, a lot of development takes different forms, early stage, mid stage, uh, different places of ownership that developers try to build their investment thesis around, bring in strategics to address that investment thesis. 
What separates Vive Energia from the market? What do you do that's different from others? Or how do you distinguish yourselves in the marketplace? It's actually quite clear to us and, and apparently to the Mexican market as well. We've uh, vertically integrated and we basically go everywhere from the uh, pre-development of the project, the development, the obtaining of the permits, the obtaining of the right-of-ways, the polygon, the social license, the construction of the uh, social impact studies and the social programs as well, both before the construction, during construction, and during operation of the program as well. So, you know, just keeping this social license of, of environmental and social sustainability, plus the general operation of the projects, uh, the themselves, the commercial aspects, bringing in the PPAs, the 24-7 desk, the intermediation, commercial intermediation uh, with the Mexican grid operator and so on. So basically being a one-stop shop, this is something that other companies have tried to do, but most none of them actually bring to the table the sustainability aspect, the the, the part where, look, we're going to be uh, doing all the environmental work as well, all of the social work as well, the community outreach, having people within the communities, having teams and boots on the ground. And to this day, our largest human resource area within the company is actually the sustainability department. We started this interview by saying, hey, one of the most important challenges in Latin America and in Mexico is actually obtaining and keeping the social license. Benny, tell me something that's true for you that perhaps very few people would agree with you on. Hmm, that's a simple one. The future of energy is electricity. And the future of electricity, my friend, is renewable energy. You've got a lot of listeners here who would agree with you, but I would agree that <laughs> by, by and large, you face some, some controversial stares when you would state that uh, in, in public meetings in Mexico, for sure. One thing else that I want to come back to on the public policy right now, because a lot of folks have Mexico right now as a question mark, you see some developers pulling out, is the current environment, the apparent objective would seem to be that it's going to drive away foreign direct investment. You have a partner from China. Many others have partners from Europe, China, America that are foreign direct investment partners. Do you see that this, this is going to put that kind of investment on ice? And if so, for how long? It's not a simple yes or no question because I think it very much depends on how uh, market savvy and by market, I mean, Mexico savvy these companies are and uh, how bold their appetite is. I think we, we never discussed this before, Nico, but I'm a pilot as a hobby. And there's a saying in, in aviation that there's uh, old pilots and there's old pilots, but there are no old, bold pilots, right? But in renewable energy, specifically in Mexico and investing in countries like Mexico, I think it will belong to the bold right? Those who decide to stay, those who decide to bet on a renewable future for, for Mexico, and who, of course, will do this in, in an intelligent manner, I think that they will be in a position to be the front runners of getting things done in Mexico when Mexican public policy turns towards renewable energy again in the future, as it must, because it can't be any other way. Benny, I have a ton of questions here around just around how, how you think as a as a leader and a, and a creator, as someone with a doctorate, I imagine that you get invited and you love to teach. You get invited to speak to audiences. Maybe you've already given one, but if not, what would your TED talk be about? Getting the right people makes all the difference. It's all about people. There's no good companies or bad companies. It's only people. There are, however, good people and bad people. Right. So it's all about people. At the end of the day, uh, my partners and myself uh, have been very meticulous in who 
comes on board and what they do and how we can get them to be the better part of themselves, right? And I think we've done that. We've, we've also put an important amount of uh, stock within uh, strategic employees as well. So we've created a team of people who are uh, not only committed to Mexico and a renewable future for, for Mexico, but c- committed with each other and with the Viva Energia team. People say this constantly, and there's a reason for that, because it's true. It really is about the team. And I think that's probably what we've bet on. And I think we've done, uh, we've done it well. And just, just having a company that represents the moral values of, of who you are and that you ask, actually demonstrate that within the organization and towards your customers as well. And there's a process getting there, right? There's a whole of auto consciousness and an examination of where you want to be and what you want to be. And so, yeah, I guess that's, that's how I would take it. I have to imagine, apart from your father, who I imagine had a lasting impact or has had a lasting impact on you uh, from a career perspective, are there any key figures in your life? And if so, what are some key lessons and takeaways that you've gleaned from those mentors over the course of your career? You know what? Definitely. It comes, it comes from home, right? From mom and dad and, and, then, and then your wife, right? Who, who pushed you to be a, a better person every day. But the, the, the lessons, they're learned every day, man. I mean, seriously, Nico. I mean, you go out there, you talk to uh, landowners and what, you know, these are people from humble origins that are suddenly going to be paid significant amount of money. We not only make the deal with them and, and, and pay them, but we actually help them with, hey, what you should do with that money. And, and we'll give you um, counseling throughout the commercial relationship with the parties as to how to invest and how to move forward. We've seen, I've seen throughout the years, families uh, break down because of, uh, of the, you know, these new incomes that they get all of a sudden. So you start making other people's problems your problem as well, and not just referring to them as, you know, other people's problems. It's an important part of life, just a whole experience. And, and we keep learning every day. And I've seriously have learned from every boss I've had throughout my career. And uh, to a certain extent, I have definitely, and maybe even more so learned from every employee I've had. I wonder if you have any advice for folks that are looking to get into the industry, they're transitioning to clean energy, maybe they're in fossil fuels, maybe they're in high tech. What are transferable skills, important first steps, how to prepare, what to expect. Do you have any advice that comes to mind for folks that are trying to think about how should I break into this industry? Well, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not necessarily a new industry, right? The council would be pretty much as I've told many of my MBA students throughout the years. I mean, just like really be diligent, do a good due diligence of what it is you're going to do and, and try and dot all the I's and cross all the T's, right? So what market are you going to hit? What is the revenue stream? Where is it going to be coming from? What could impact that revenue stream you know, moving forward? How is that going to affect the possibilities of you paying out any debts that you might have incurred to make this thing happen? And so on and so on and so on. So, um, and, and what I always say is um, take care of the cash flow because that is the true meaning of happiness. Having a positive cash flow, man, <laughs> in a business, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. And, and, it's, and it's the energy business, right? A lot of folks think, oh, well, I need to know the lingo and the jargon. That's easily acquirable. Um, the financial models are vastly simpler <laughs> than many other energy transactions. Well, Benny, as I round uh, third to home base here, uh, I have a couple of questions about kind of how you keep your mind sharp. Are there any books that for you have meant 
a great deal around you along your leadership learning cycle? Perhaps you gift them a lot or you recommend them a lot that you'd you know, tee up for us. <laughs> you know, I think it's uh, uh, business is like life is really about the people. And I'll get to I'll get to the question you, you, you just put put forth. Um, I remember back when we were initiating this in, in the Isthmus region, we had more than 400 families that formed part of the first um, EURUS project, which was a big project for, for Acciona, which I was um, charged of, of putting together um, and trying to get the social license and so on. And, and you know, companies struggled tremendously. And at the end of the day, uh, we ended up putting a, 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 a customer relationship management system, right, in which I would personally call five of these uh, ejidatarios or members of the commune, right, every single day. And we would write down, um, you know, the, the name of the wife, the kids, if he told me his kid was going to have an exam in the city of Oaxaca, whatever, or that his daughter, you know, kind of uh, tore her, her ankle playing soccer or so on, you know, this would be written down. And then four months later, when I would talk to him again, according to my schedule, hey, how's your kid? How was his exam? How's your daughter's foot doing? And so on. And people just want to, to know that you care. And even if you have a little cheat sheet, if you will, at the end of the day, you do care because you're calling and, hey, you know, see how we can help them. Yeah, you care enough to, to capture that data. Exactly, right? And they like, call them up, see what's happening. And, and there's a great book out there. Um, and it's, it's, I don't do much novels and kind of stuff. I'm, I'm more academically orientated. And I wish I had the time to read the stuff I have to read, public policy-wise. Uh, but Guns, Germs, and Steel by Jerry Diamond, I think that one really marked me in trying to understand why people are how they are and why societies have turned out to be how they are. And not that I'm endorsing the guy or anything, but it's a good book. It's totally fine. We always recommend uh, and, and lead folks to the books that are recommended on the show. So I'm, I'm actually really glad that, that you recommend that book. I love it. And I think it's a fantastic book uh, to learn about the macro economy of how uh, industrialized society came to be and some of the pros and cons of that. What you said, though, about the family and capturing that data, for those who are longtime listeners, you will have recognize that's very similar to what John DeJulius, who gave a keynote at our uh, Clean Energy Summit back in the spring, taught. It's called, he calls it his Ford model. He consults people on how to set up their CRM and how to set up their customer relationships in a way that, that you can capture the data. And, and the Ford framework is really simple, F-O-R-D, family, occupation, recreation, and dreams. The people he trains, they, they capture this data based on family, occupation, recreation, and dreams. And that's exactly what you just expressed that you do and that you teach your team to do. And I would encourage anyone listening to this to think about this as a people business at the end of the day, just like Benny said. And uh, you can you can learn all about the trap. You can learn the contraption, rather. You can learn all about how the machine works. But if you don't learn how the people work and if you don't set your business up to serve the people, at the end of the day, you're going to get nowhere, especially in markets like Mexico, where you have to deal with ajitos, where you have to, where you have people that you're fundamentally changing their life. And you've got people on your team who've never had a stable, stable job, and you've given them uh, the ability to, to begin generating wealth for themselves and their family. And you know what, Nico, something I didn't mention before, I think it's important to mention and something that we do differently than, than other companies. And I wish more companies did it the way the way we're doing it, because at the end of the day, it would mean a, an impulse for the general uh, renewable energy sector is that instead of going out there and buying the land, securing that land and property for the for the company, for the SPV, right, for that 
particular special purpose vehicle, uh, we try and always rent the land. And of course, that's more expensive for the project itself. And the more pulverized ownership of the land is, the better. So that means more development work, more contracts, you know, larger headache. But the more pulverized ownership of the land is, and if you're renting the land, then you're going to have a group of families that are vested in the well-being of the project. And that always helps. One more question before our final question. Is there any particular habit or consistent practice in your life that you feel like gives you uh, leverage or impact? Well, you know, teaching. I've been teaching for 17 years now. I stopped this year, but I guess everybody stopped this year. <laughs> <laughs> this year's, this yeah. year is, a, is, a, is an anomaly, I hope. Yeah, an anomaly. And I'm really looking forward to getting back to it because I find myself that uh, when I'm explaining certain things or trying to answer certain things and hitting the, uh, the, the, the board, right? New ideas come up for me and, and things that I probably would not have thought of if I wasn't in that dynamic. So for me, teaching has always been very important and uh, I definitely uh, wish that to continue to be a part of my life. You know, some people go to therapy, some people exercise, I teach. There's a famous quote out there to teach is to learn twice. I think that that is so fundamentally true. Uh, you have to better understand it to teach others or, or explain to others what you're talking about because you get that question uh, that, that forces you to know what you're talking about. I think that's a great uh, leadership model as well to not, all, not have one person who has all the knowledge, but to have those who acquire the knowledge then teach it to others in the organization. Well, I'm assuming folks can uh, find you on LinkedIn and we'll link to that. Are you active on any other social media? I have Facebook page and you know LinkedIn and the Viva Energia webpage as well. My email's there. And what's the website for Viva Energia for those who aren't familiar? Vivenergia.com. So V-I-V-E-E-N-E-R-G-I-A. Yep. Well, let's end today, as we always do, with a bold prediction. Benny, what one thing do you see happen in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? I think we're going to be slowly but surely moving to hydrogen. I think hydrogen is going to take a very important part of the immediate future, immediate to medium term. We are in Viva Energia looking at that as well and trying to put a project together here in Mexico. One of the main allegations posed by this current administration in Mexico and some others internationally against renewables is the intermittency of generation, reliability or dependability of, of the electricity itself. So I think that bringing hydrogen into the mix will allow for renewable energies, both solar and wind, to to contradict that argument as well, not at the prices of a standalone wind farm, but uh, even combined with hydrogen cells and so on to give a baseline of energy. At current prices and the way we're looking at it in about two years, we're going to be cheaper doing that than natural gas and, and any other established fossil fuel generator. You're also beating the drum that, you know, Titans like BP and LightSource, their renewables arm are for sure looking at another part. Yeah, but we have a lot, a much little, much smaller drum. It's a smaller drum, but it's no, it's it's in the same rhythm, and that's important in uh, in in the in the drum circle. So, you know, it's funny. I was gonna bring up the the hybridization, right? It's, I think that the nobody in the market is better set up to take advantage of what's happening with hydrogen right now than the wind developers who have moved into solar because you have these hybrid assets. You can go back to a wind farm and not only put solar on it, but now you have an asset that produces majority of night, majority in the day. They both can generate green hydrogen. That green hydrogen can be used for lots of different services, including storage. I mean, it's a, it's a perfect 
combination. We could spend a whole other uh, episode on this topic, and maybe we will. For now, uh, I want to thank Benny Villarreal, co-founder and CEO of Vive Energia, for joining us here on Suncast. It has been a genuine pleasure. Thank you, my friend. Thank you very much, Nico, for your interest in Mexico, uh, renewable energies, and Vive Energia, my friend. Man, what a story. All right. Thank you. As we wrap up 2020, thank you, Benny. Thanks for being here and sharing your story with our tribe. I just want to say thank you again to you for listening as well, Solar Warrior. I particularly loved the analogy Benny shared of the tire company buying Ford. That one really stuck with me and stuck in my mind. I'm wondering what sticks for you from this story. I'd love to hear it. Would you mind sharing this episode and your takeaways with someone over on LinkedIn? You'll also find I've posted on it. If you want to just comment on that post, that's totally fine. You can click on Benny's contact info there and uh, friend him as well. You know, it's been a real treat to have Benny on the show and he and I'd love to know what resonated with you. So who do you think needs to hear this story today? Well, since you're already hopping online, why don't you go ahead and dig into more insights and resources, social media, book recs, and all that other stuff over at mysuncast.com or you can just head back into the kitchen, pour another eggnog. There's still plenty of time for much more Suncast episodes to catch up on during this vacation. From all of us at Suncast, we wish you a very merry and restful holiday season. Thank you again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. 